you recently hosted a series of lectures here at Reality SF. The purpose of these lectures are to lead us deeper into discipleship with and to Jesus. These lectures are for the purpose of wisdom and how to engage and interact with our world for our formation and becoming more like Jesus. We desire to engage with these particular conversations around sexuality as a discipleship conversation of how to instill wisdom, and we need wisdom in order to engage. You're about to hear a conversation on human sexuality and desire. Myself, Jessica, and David will throw to segments from the lecture, but also expand on things we could have said if we had more time. This lecture series and conversations about sexuality are not debates, and they were really not about causing confusion. The goal of these conversations and the goal now is wisdom, because you and I both need wisdom to engage in these types of conversations. Uh, I think one of the reasons why we're doing this podcast is because so many people <laughs> personally DM'd me to ask personally for the links, which we told them we're not going to share. Yeah. So. <laughs> well, these yes, conversations are always best in like a you had to be there in the room sort of thing. Yes. And everybody asks mm-hmm. when you post something show up to this lecture like everyone is it going to be recorded i actually trolled our own our it. own reality stuff instagram and i've said is this going to be recorded because yes. literally everyone asked that question and people liked it like yeah is it going to be recorded um and the, the the fact is it was recorded and i said well to what extent we release these recordings is really we don't know yet and so we're doing this so that we can release some of the recordings because some of it we wanted to be like yeah. you had to be there. You just had yes. to be there. Yeah. That was. I think some of the com- yeah the conversations are so nuanced too, and we actually didn't know what the nights were going to be like. Yeah, it was kind of us just discussing some of the things we've always talked about, and we're like, this could go real great, or this could be like real bad. Yeah. And so we're not going to guarantee anything. So yeah, and I also yeah. think there's a kind of organic contextualization that happens in a talk. Yes, that's not appropriate to put into a podcast like i think in a podcast you need to shape the content so it's clear bite-sized and helps people yeah. forward so i think we're doing that we're helping forward f- people forward from the talks and also including people who couldn't be there yes yeah and i think too like this would happen during covid this is like one of the worst things about covid was people were individually watching the sermons in their own living rooms and then turning it off and then they would get really pissed or mad or whatever. And then they had nowhere to like to do with their anger Mm -hmm. where in a podcast is very similar. We can say something, you're really angry in your car driving or on a run or something. You (laughs) can't do anything in this room. We had people turn now process Mm -hmm. with the people Mm. around you and then like ask any questions and you lose the spirit. Like there was such a sweet spirit in the room. Amazing Amazing questions. Yeah. And afterwards someone came up to me like, I've never felt like this connected and this much unity with people around this conversation in a room. Yeah. And there was like four to 600 people in the room on any <laughs> yeah. given night. And it was just so, uni- it was, it felt really good. And yeah. even I think people who share different views, ultimately ethically yeah, were being sharpened and challenged mm-hmm. to be like in that deeper friendship yeah. that we were modeling. So it's hard to, it's hard to do that like on a podcast in the same way, but we're, We'll do our best. We're going to yeah. attempt. And part of it too, I 
want to say that some of those conversations were all about safety and confidentiality. There are things people were talking about in their very small groups that we said, like from the start, hey, this is about safety, confidentiality. We're not going to publish this. And so one of the biggest reasons why I was like, this is, I have to, we have to protect that. Absolutely. Sure. So. So the first night um, when we gathered, we began, we tried to do the format where Mm -hmm. it would be um, a short, la- short. I say short because David was. We're giving laughing time. and looking at David. As I was like words. academic short or normal short. <laughs> yeah. well, either one, you yeah. kind of didn't listen to any of them. <laughs> so it was like a short lecture, and then mm-hmm. we would interact with the the material, the, yep. the the content, and then we would we would let the uh, the like the congregation mm-hmm. kind of talk, and then there'd be another lecture. Then we interact, and then we do Q and A. But that didn't really happen the first night because we were just at a time. Mm-hmm. So it started with, I like, I lectured a little bit on sexuality and I've done this, I've done mm-hmm. this before at our church, so we're not going to put it on this audio. Yeah. You can go back and listen to it. But like sexuality in the sense of we all have a sexuality and a spirituality and these things are deeply interwoven yeah. and we kind of, we kind of make sexuality just meaning sex mm-hmm. and, um, and actually your sexuality is way, way bigger than mm-hmm. sex mm-hmm. and it's aimed at something. It's aimed at generativity and mm-hmm. life and, and you don't have to be having sex to have a, a healthy, robust sexuality. And then we talked about, you, you lectured. We, I lectured, but we, we also, you talked about the etymology or the origin of the word sexuality and sex yeah. in latin which i thought was a really it's a really crucial point yeah that sex is related to like the word sect like sectus or mm-hmm. like the idea of separation yep. and breaking mm-hmm. of relationship yep. whereas the old testament into the new testament emphasizes knowing each other mm-hmm. and that mm-hmm. sexual goods are subsumed into that if you're married but they're not necessary for human flourishing yeah. because you can have that personal knowledge all sorts of ways through friendship, family, That's right. church, you know, it's, it's kind of limitless really, but those other relationships don't involve the sexual goods. Yeah. And I talked about it like from a Freud, uh, like a Freud would say like we're sexed from like our, our mother and father and we want to be reunited with them. Yeah. And then in Jung, I like philosophy would be like from one another, from the other yeah. that you want to be. Yeah. And then Augustine would say God, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. and then we talked about like, what is it? It's actually all of them. Mm-hmm. Like we, all three of those things were, to- we feel the, because of the fall, we are all sexed. We're all torn from mm-hmm. integration Yeah, and we were created, integrated, like fully integrated. Mm-hmm. And we desire this integration again. So mm-hmm. since we're all sexed and our sexuality is a desire for union, mm-hmm. union with God and union with one another, one another and this generativity in this life. Anyway, so we talked about that and then we went into, um, David, you, you were teaching on, um, agape and eros yeah, and how people like pit those two against each other, which I think is so true. Mm-hmm. And even the, by definition, we think eros is bad and agape is good and we have to go for agape, mm. but not for eros. Let's throw to that now because there's a really, really beautiful clip of you lecturing that night. So here's a clip of uh, David's uh, part of his lecture on the first night of our sexuality lectures. 20th century Lutheran theologian called Anders Newgren writes this text called Eros and Agape. And he sets Eros against Agape and Agape against Eros. And this is how he defines Eros. 
Eros is acquisitive desire and longing. It is man's way to God. It is man's own effort and assumes that his salvation is his own work. Eros is egoistic love, a form of self-assertion. It seeks to gain its life as a kind of divine and immortalized life. It is man's love and it is motivated by the worth or quality of its object. In other words, Eros is idolatry of the self. Then he defines agape this way. Agape has nothing to do with the kind of love that depends on the recognition of a valuable quality in its object. So it's against eros. That's what eros does. It's not like eros. Agape does not recognize value, but creates it. Agape loves and imparts value by loving. The man who is loved by God has no value in himself. What gives him value is precisely the fact that God loves him. Agape is a value-creating principle. In other words, the value of humanity has been utterly wiped out by sin, and there's nothing good in humanity, and it's all just God. God is the only one in this marriage. It sounds like a really bad marriage. I would not want to be in a marriage like that where my partner is doing all of the initiation and I'm just like, don't have any agency. Like, what kind of relationality has this man, Anders Newgren, brought into the church? That is not a description of the love of God. Love of God is reciprocal. Love of God is a romance. The love of God does not force itself on us, but woos us in the mystery of free will. And we in the church have imbibed what Antis Newgren taught. We have created a Christian dualism between our sexuality, our eros, our desires, and God's love. And we've said, destroy eros and make agape impossible. Because we're worried about works-based righteousness. So... What this dualism between agape and eros has created in our society is identity either based solely on the rejection or embrace of sexuality. So in my life as a gay man, it's like, delete your gay identity and embrace Christ. Or it's, delete Jesus and embrace being gay. Oh, the damage this has done, not just to the LGBTQI plus community, but to the straight cisgender community as well, to humanity. I think it's a really bad teaching, and it's done so much damage, and I'm so glad that God gave me the grace to go to Oxford and get out of it. But this is the Christian vision of Eros and Agape coming together. The self formed around love and the lordship of Jesus, which integrates sexual orientation or all desires, under the lordship of Christ. And it's really interesting, you know, when I talk about my erotic relationship with God, my erotic relationship with my friends, Mm -hmm. people are like, are you saying that's sexual? Yeah. Like, that is like a fundamentalist belief. Yeah. in our culture that eros means sex mm-hmm. when actually in classical philosophy you know even within the kind of greek tradition you had eros that was understood as first about union with the divine mm-hmm. and sex got in the way mm. so people would be like celibate or cut that out so that they could find contemplative like as- like ascending into 
this divine perfect like eros and that you know sex was a distraction and then you had the popular pagan culture which was like looked down upon by socrates and plato because they were like eros is sex haha aphrodite the god of eros ha 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 you know and we have the same dualism between people in like the theological academy who are trying to say there's such like, a much bigger definition of love here mm-hmm. that love cannot be like reduced down to sex and that love is like this metaphysically unitive like holistic view of human desire the body the soul the spirit becoming one with god and one with each other and so i was talking about andis newgren who was a 20th century lutheran uh, theologian who wrote a book basically pitting eros against agape Mm. And that got imbibed into Protestant churches, evangelicalism, purity culture, mm-hmm. all sorts of really harmful dualisms, which taught us that if we don't have sex, we can't flourish. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Or sex is this super dangerous thing that like, we should never talk about and kind of suppress. Mm-hmm. Whereas when you have this healthy or universal view of Eros and Agape becoming one, and you see this with Benedict Sixteenth, like, the most incredible theologian of the last century he wrote his essay deus caritas est god is love Mm -hmm. and in that he says eros without agape becomes disordered and destroys things it's like a fire you know Mm -hmm. that is burning everywhere and hurts everybody but as soon as you bring eros in underneath agape and allow it to be sanctified it becomes a fire that warms everything in the room gives energy to everything Mm -hmm. and like you know, spearheads us into self-sacrificial love. Yeah, so I think that that idea of like agape and eros coming together, yeah. that was the thing that kind of like landed in the room mm-hmm. that like blew people's mind. Like, wait, what? This is, I was always taught this one thing and now, wait, there that that thing that I think resonated in the room was like, it was re- yeah. reverberating. <laughs> reverberating. I'm like, I could hear a pin drop when you actually talk about the like misalignment of agape and eros and that you need Jesus to be holding that together. But then how that, that disorderedness affected actually what we think is the heart of, of Jesus of in his life, which is true friendship, the depth of friendship. And so when you just talked about like what that vision was for relationships, I think people were so stunned of like, wait, that's what we experience when we feel like, we're not going to have one of these things over the other. And it's like pitting against each other. But yet we're like, we've lost the vision of friendship. Mm-hmm. We've lost that in like the, the body of Christ. And so, yeah, that just, that just blew people's minds for sure. Yeah, and I, I think if you have this reductive view that single people really suffer in the church mm-hmm. because they're told you can't participate in the good of Eros. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You're shut up, shut off from it. And it's a kind of existential hell that yeah. they're thrown into and I think particularly women and queer people are kind of chastised and yet told there's no legitimate way for you to participate in Eros. And so they they often leave the church or get super angry and rightfully so. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I think, you know, sexuality and gender are so interweaved in this. If we don't mm-hmm. get this right, we can't get sexuality and gender right. Yeah. And I think for me, you know, as a celibate gay Christian, it took me a long time to dig deep. Like even in my book, A War of Loves, I kind of still have a little bit of a dualism between Eros and Agape. And I'm like, who needs Eros? It's just a God and God is Agape. And like, I actually imbibed 
that dualism yeah. when yeah. I first wrote A War of Loves. So it wasn't until I got to Oxford, I was like, oh, no, 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 mm-hmm. that is so mistaken. And the mm-hmm. Christian tradition, Gregory of Nyssa, Eastern Fathers, Desert Fathers and Mothers, you know, Augustine, they all had this unifying of Eros and Agape in their theology and they dedicated themselves often to celibacy not Mm -hmm. because they wanted to repress their sexuality but because they wanted to dedicate themselves to this vision of holistic love Mm -hmm. that went beyond just sex you know and I think we need to regain that today in the church yeah and I Mm -hmm. think the thing that I think the thing that was like landing and that's so applicable are these like um, deep deep friendships that we can have with the opposite sex mm-hmm. with the mm-hmm. same sex mm-hmm. without it being sexual. Mm-hmm. It could be eros. It could mm-hmm. be deep desire, mm-hmm. the desire I have for other brothers and other sisters that I get mm-hmm. really close to. And my eros, my deep, deep passion desire for them mm-hmm. is that they would become m- like fully themselves, mm-hmm. fully themselves mm-hmm. in mm-hmm. Christ, fully like for- formed in the, w- in the ways of Jesus. And they would want that for yeah. me. And we would have this like, deep friendship Mm -hmm. where I think friendship was so, especially over the last maybe few generations, Mm -hmm. we kind of moved, especially in the purity culture, Mm -hmm. we're like, um, the opposite sex was a threat or an enemy Mm -hmm. and we don't know how to see them or treat them. Mm. We can't be friends with them because friendship then turns into, uh, turns sexual. And it's not that that's not true. That can be very, very true. And it's probably because it's a disordered idea of Mm -hmm. what do I do with attraction yeah. And the only thing I know how to do with attraction, then I had to point it towards sex Yeah, yep. instead of pointing it towards this. is I have an attraction to them and I know how to orient that towards like channel that it's like, mm. um, I might've used this example during the Q and a, but like when, like right now my son now and is a, a year old. And I remember when my daughter Juniper was a year old, their like energy is throwing things when mm. they're yeah. eating at the dinner table and throwing and throwing and like playing with their food and texture and like, Oh my gosh, I want this on my face and I'm going to throw it on the ground. I want to see what gravity does. And that's energy. That's all it is, yeah. is energy. Mm. And then the worst thing you do as a parent is stop the energy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Try to repress it. Yeah. Repress mm-hmm. the energy. No, don't we, you have to sit there and not have any energy at the dinner yeah. table. The, the real true thing is channeling energy. Yes. Mm-hmm. How do you channel that? That's a real, that's energy, but it's pointed at the wrong thing. How do you channel that energy so it's pointed at the right thing? Mm-hmm. Yeah. We we stop doing that when they hit puberty. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and we're like, repress, repress, yeah. repress. And I, I think for me, you know, the Eucharist became really important for me to practice mm-hmm. safe, erotic union with God, with Jesus. So I would have this like nonverbal, you know, body to body contact with Jesus. It wasn't mm-hmm. sexual, but mm-hmm. it was so erotic. Yeah. And Jesus said like, my body is in your body. Mm-hmm. So your job is to desire as I desire, which is totally safe. Yes. But the minute you, you cut off your awareness of our union, you're going to go towards all this like desire that's going towards disorder and harm. Yeah. And you have to learn to stay steadfast in me and you're desiring. So I think there's all these sacramental yes. kind of, like mm-hmm. tools that, the tradition has given us yeah but we're not using them in the particularly the western church we're kind of saying i don't even know if that's the real presence i'm like it's the real presence (laughs) like you need that because you're all off and if you think your mind can control your eros it cannot like your rational faculties are also fallen so i think we need to bring back without going too far i think these sacramental moments of union particularly with god and jesus and the holy spirit and the charismatic movement has been really a resurgence of trying to find a healthy eros with god 
Yeah. And you see all of these abuses in like particularly more conservative cessationist churches, not to say that charismatic churches don't have that Mm because they also can have disordered eros. But that's what I think we're facing that crisis of abuse because we don't have ways of reorienting us. Yeah, I think even in the model, like back to this friendship thing of disordered, it's like even modeling, it's either we've either cheapened friendship. So it's like when you like someone and you're like, I really like you, I want to date you. And they're like, we're just friends. And you're like, that's not offensive. That shouldn't be offensive. That should be like. It's not just friends. It's It's like we are friends. We are friends. In the the family of God, the body of Christ, friendship should have a higher view. Absolutely. You know, and even, I think you even spoke to, David, to marriage. Like the heart of everything, the heart of our community and in the body of Christ should be friendship. Absolutely. It is that ordered like agape and eros. And from that comes other things. And so it's kind of like even reorienting. I think I kept seeing people's faces like light up. It was Mm. like the light bulbs went off and you're like, yeah, friendship. And so all the questions from that night were like, how do we do that? How do we get back to that? What what should we do? And I think it's model for me, it was modeling what healthy friendships, same sex or opposite sex looks like Mm. in the church. That's where we need to start. And you see it like you see this in the scriptures when David and Jonathan have this crazy Mm -hmm. deep desire and love for each other that goes beyond David. I think it's David who says it goes beyond the love of women. In other words, it's not sexual. Yes. Because people have homoeroticized that as yes. well and said this has to be gay because we have like, I was watching no some category. Like, yeah, gay no popular cultural yeah. stuff and they're like of course those two guys you know they had to be queer and we're just like making everything super homosexual and I'm like we're actually we're we're impoverishing ourselves whether we do that with he- homosexuality or heterosexuality we're impoverishing ourselves from love that goes way beyond those categories mm-hmm. and so I think you know even soul's reaction is that you like shame your mother's nakedness. In other words, I don't know if I can believe that you have this love that the culture, which is oppressive and patriarchal or matriarchal, whatever abusive Mm -hmm. power rejects that Eros and says, it's not possible because they don't have the spirit. They don't have God. Mm -hmm. And so they try to destroy the friendship. And Jesus says the greatest love you can have is to lay down your life for your friends. Mm -hmm. And so Mm -hmm. that, that was so prophetic that like Mm -hmm. broke the chains of empire and all Mm -hmm. these fallen systems of power. And it was like, actually we can be like God Mm -hmm. because what God invites us to is this eternal good of friendship. Marriage is not an eternal good. Friendship is That's when everything dropped. You're like, what? (laughs) Like, yeah. yeah, Realigning that vision for that. It's not just about marriage. It's you're, you can have a full life even if you're not married it is good it should be i think marriage should be raised as a good thing yeah. even like a greater gift but it's not the only thing and yeah. it's right. elevated by yeah. a sanctified eros marriage yes. will be elevated to a better place yeah. yes. i think that's why paul's concession in 1 corinthians 7 yeah. is really just a concession it's not the christian ethic yes and i see so many gay people and so many straight people like settling for yet less yeah. for paul's concession yeah. i'm like no the yeah. ultimate journey of the church should be towards like this deep erotic celibacy in agape or marriage that is like erotically reordered in a loving way to be able to be mutually submit, submitting to one another. Yes. yes. And I think yeah. a truly godly, beautiful marriage is um, a marriage that pulls others into the eros of a couple. Yes. That's right. Their like deep desire mm-hmm. for goodness and beauty mm-hmm. in the world, for hospitality, mm-hmm. for like, oneness they pull people into mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. N- in a way that's nurturing in a way that uh that that like is generous sharing yeah. the things they have those are the marriages the marriages that like that like 
are yeah. there for themselves and like so art insular. And yeah. com- bond together <laughs> could accomplish more than we could alone you know that sort of thing like we can buy a better car now yeah. like that is such a disordered yes. way oh of gosh. thinking about yeah. marriage uh, and i think it's this idea and i do this every wedding i do that uh um after they do their vows i'll hold up the ring and they go they they decided to exchange rings mm-hmm. as an act of their love as a symbol of their love for one another and they say that a ring is circular because it represents eternity but that's not a thing mm. because you just said till death do you part. <laughs> yeah, come on. So this is not okay. eternal. It's great. Sass. This is, yes, it's a little yes, sassy. Sass. Dave. Uh, it is true. I'm like, yeah. and this actually represents like the parable of the prodigal son, mm. like mm. unconditional love. Like mm-hmm. no matter what happens, and this is why I think when we talk about marriage, mm-hmm. I want to elevate marriage. Yes. Mm. Covenant. I'm like, no. And I want them to know, I usually do the whole thing on covenant. I'm like, yep. Covenant is this covenantal love, like no matter what. Did Jesus yeah. give a concession? Yeah, he did, because your hearts are hardened. Yeah. yeah. But it's yeah. no matter <laughs> what. what, I love you. Yeah. I Absolutely. will choose to love you. That's covenantal love. Mm-hmm. And the world needs to see that. The world needs to see marriages like that. Mm-hmm. And they also need to see singleness like that. And there needs yeah. to be this interweaving, mm-hmm. interwoven, yeah. and friendship needs to be elevated. Because I think about um, friendship with my wife. Ashley is the height of our marriage, like mm-hmm. deep friendship when we're like, there's symbiosis and, mm-hmm. and synergy and like we're mm-hmm. friends. Mm-hmm. That's way better than any other, sort of, any other real, any other intimacy. That and then your have. sex life becomes spicier, I bet. Yeah, for sure. hundred <laughs> percent. But I'll even say the the sexual union mm-hmm. is like, maybe it could be like a quick way of union mm-hmm. yeah. where friendship mm-hmm. takes more work, but it's, it's a deeper form of union. Yes. I, I will honestly say it's yeah. a deeper form of union. friendship mm-hmm. when you feel like, oh my gosh, I see you, you see me, mm-hmm. we're in this together. Mm-hmm. We're fr- like, there is nothing like that. Mm-hmm. And I promise you, like you might not believe, people that aren't married might not believe me. I'm like, oh, you're supposed to say that you're married. It is <laughs> deeply true. Yeah. Like, uh, and I've, I've said this from the pulpit before, like there is nothing more lonely than being married and there is no friendship and there yeah. is no intimacy there yeah. is nothing more lonely than that. And yeah. and I think celibacy and marriage are co-regulative. So celibacy points marriage forward to its eventual transformation. Yep. And <laughs> yes, marriage mm-hmm. also reminds celibates, hey, there's an earth here as well. Yeah. Like this yeah. current reality where there are created goods that are still good. Yeah. And actually celibates need to indirectly participate in created goods. So it's not saying you're totally cut off forever from created good it's saying here through marriage in community we all are indirectly related to those created goods that we might not be able to have Mm -hmm. a direct relationship to when we're celibate but celibates dedicate themselves to the heavenly eros with jesus and god Mm -hmm. that can help regulate proper use joyful use of the created goods so celibacy is like massively important for marriage yeah can't we just need to re- yes You're like, we just need to redeem this yeah. of celibacy yes. needs yeah. to happen yes. it's not a repressive thing it's yep. no. a beautiful thing in the kingdom of god and then to to remove the idol of marriage from yes. our culture and then give it its proper beautiful place that mm-hmm. the that 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 scripture gives it that jesus gives it in in the scriptures is what needs to happen there's this needs to be this like beautiful level setting of like Let's remove the idol of marriage and let's remove the stigma of celibacy and then show how they like 
are both needed in the kingdom of God and in the yeah. church. And if you take Mary and John as symbolic, you know, mm-hmm. at Jesus's passion when he's dying on the cross, he gives Mary and John to each other. Yes. And that's the foundation moment of the church. Mm-hmm. So what we see is his relationship to his mother, which represents like procreation and that whole or- old order of marriage, which is still like vindicated as good, but not ultimate, like, but yet Mary is also a relativization <laughs> of that at the same yeah. time because Jesus wasn't born from a man. He was yeah. born from God. So there was no funky moment <laughs> yeah. between Mary and Joseph to produce Jesus. He was God in human flesh. So you have that whole thing going on as the foundation of the church. And then you have John, the one who is leaning against Jesus's mm-hmm. bosom, hearing Jesus's heartbeat at like the deepest level of his passion is the one that Jesus, you know, gives his mother to Mm -hmm. so this is a non-patrilineal non you know genetic family that is more Mm -hmm. fundamental than procreation genetics and nuclear family so we see this relativization but affirmation of marriage and we see this by relativization you mean not ultimate not ultimate ultimate, yeah yeah. affirmation but not ultimate yes yeah I think of all the ways practically that like people in our church have done that for me just as a single person. Like I have used to have not such great, you know, views of marriage, but man, they, I like love what you said, Dave. It was like level set to being like, okay, it's not the ultimate thing. It, it is great. It's an amazing gift. And being invited into people's marriages is incredible. It has helped my faith. It mm. stirred my faith. It stirred my calling even as a single person mm. and then called to celibacy as well. You're like, gosh okay, well, if we're going to do this, I'm going to be serious about it. And I want to know what that vision is. And so those, that, that conversation in the church, I love that, that vision where we're just like, this is what our next step is to do in the church is to encourage people, no matter what stage of life they're in and no matter where they're at, Mm -hmm. the friendship part is key. And so working on that and giving vision for that was just something super encouraging, um, but also really needed. I think you hit on something that's missing and then you hit on something that we're like, that's what I want to give my life to. And I think you know? particularly for the queer or gay community, if there is no eros yeah. outside of marriage, like, of course, the gay community is going to leave and then fight yeah. for the idolatry of marriage. Like, my biggest objection yep. to affirming, I don't even like that term, or side A, yeah, I, yeah. I can have gay marriage, whatever, yeah. those terms, it's like, you don't get it. You are stuck in that dualism of eros and agape because you think it's all bad news for you if you can't have marriage. Yeah. But I'm like, the whole gospel is like, that is not that important. Mm -hmm. Actually, you can have this crazy eros with God and crazy eros with other people in agape Mm -hmm. and live this like really fecund and beautiful life of glory Mm -hmm. being a eunuch, being someone who doesn't engage in marriage. And so it would be true if eros is the only place, marriage, to, to experience that good, then I think the gospel is bad news for gay people. Mm-hmm. fundamentally and yet that is wrong like i think it's mm-hmm. fundamentally mistaken that what we're saying here that friendship is the center not marriage opens up a redemptive space mm-hmm. for queerness which we're going to talk about in the yeah. other yeah. podcast yeah all right so david part of the question and response time was a lot about misaligned eros and you touched on this topic a ton about eros misaligned eros what it is what it isn't so we're going to go in depth of what your response was to that Third thing I'd say is because of our really broken desire culture, we don't have the resources to flourish in celibacy. 
So we haven't seen the potency and beauty and awe-inspiring life that Dave just touched on in Mother Teresa. Like, it is the life of Jesus. It is the life of our Lord. And we ignore it. And we turn our faces and we say, ugly. And like, I remember before I became a Christian, I'd be like, celibacy, ew. And now would be a celibate. <laughs> it's such a like deep belief because of that dualism that if we don't change our metaphysics, we don't change the way we see love as having a deeply erotic or whatever, romantic element, <laughs> that we can't see the good of celibacy. And celibacy is miserable news. If it is just this, because the only way that you could ever experience passion legitimately is in this one place called heterosexual marriage in the church. And what does that mean for gay people? It means non-existence. Yeah. It means erasure. Because we're not allowed to get married to the same sex. That's a whole other topic. But if we keep this definition of love up, which is so terrible, which separates eros and agape, that we cannot condemn anything to do with a gay marriage. Because it's like, fair enough. But if there's this other way to experience deep intimacy that's so much broader than just sex and marriage, then actually for the gay person to give that up, just as it is for a heterosexual person to give that up, is not bad news for them. It's good news. In fact, they can become a prophetic signifier of heaven, of the new creation where marriage will pass away. And actually this eros that is non-sexual and perfectly joined with agape will infuse all things. And so that is the powerful prophetic nature of celibacy that I think we've undermined such said a lot. But I could say about seven other things, but I'll stop. One thing I want to just expand on is the difference between the words disordered and misaligned. Mm -hmm. This is something I've kind of come up with after reading some really deep theology at Oxford. And I think there's a massive problem with calling same-sex desire disordered. Hmm. We have a history of medicalization where we say things are disordered as if there's a kind of culpability or pathology in that disordered thing. And I think we should say something more. I think the Christian tradition is more going to say that's a misaligned hmm. eros or a misaligned desire. And so with same-sex desire, what we see is a different orientation towards something which infringes upon the created order of marriage in a way that heterosexual desire does not. Heterosexual desire can be as fallen and lustful and crazy as you like, but it doesn't go against the created order. And that is a difference that is being covered over in the church. And gay people have suffered because there's been no compassion in that difference. That they are not culpable for having that misaligned desire. And to trust God with that misalignment is a massive deal of faith. And what that does is I think it, with changing um, this idea of it's not disordered, which is going to take some work, mm -hmm. a lot of work, mm -hmm. to misalign it opens up a whole new vista of like, then how does Jesus mm. realign it? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Because Jesus, the resurrection realigns yeah. kind of everything. So I think what happens with misaligned desire is that it's true that gay Christians, particularly if they're side B or hold a traditional view, experience exclusion from one created good. 
but only in order for them to be radically included in that created goods eventual transformation yes Mm -hmm. meaning all of marriage in the new heavens and the new earth will be subsumed into marriage to Jesus yeah Mm -hmm. and um people who have people who are uh gay queer LGBTQI same-sex attracted whatever Mm -hmm. How, whatever, however you want to people identify different different areas that's why I say whatever mm-hmm. yeah um, could actually live into the future yeah. yeah and that's that's a beautiful thing I mean I think it's also you know down on the ground is pretty difficult like, it well, is uh, but like <laughs> I can tell you some stories <laughs> it's beautiful yeah. but I also think too and I connect, correct me if I'm, if I'm wrong I'm kind of riffing here uh, like we've been doing the whole time <laughs> When it, when when you move it to misaligned and the realignment that Jesus does, that that opens the door for I think a few different things. Realignment could be people who are realigned towards like, oh my gosh, I'm attracted to this this person of the opposite, like this person of the opposite sex. I don't know mm-hmm. how this happened. Mm-hmm. That could. Yeah, that that could be an option. Not that that, like that happens mixed orientation, or like, marriage, or, or it could be a mixed orientation marriage, yeah. or it could be like. I'm giving my, my realignment is my eros is now pointed to Jesus. And now I get to live into this future reality where I don't suppress it. I actually, it meets its its fulfillment Mm -hmm. in Jesus. So there's these different, there's, there's ways that, that Jesus redeems it and realigns it and ways and options to live. Rather than erase it. Exactly. I think one of my biggest points of deep anger with the church on this is that heterosexuals have homophobically just wanted to erase Mm -hmm. the desire rather than say there's a gift and a fallen element here Mm -hmm. that's unique but also related to other humans that have different misalignments or different issues and i think we need to get better at describing a difference that can become unified the reason it's so important to have this theology of misalignment is it allows us to have a real unity rather than saying, let's just cover that over, get rid of that gay desire. You're now heterosexual and you're like us. That's uniformity. That's not unity. That's right. Mm -hmm. And that is so damaging to the Christian ethic. So that's why I am not a big fan of the 1980s conversion therapy people because Mm -hmm. what they did is said, the goal is to change the desire rather than to realign it towards the future. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so that realignment is not an erasure. It's a reappropriation, a rechanneling. Yes. You know, I was asked the question in this session, what can we do as heterosexual people to love the LGBTQI plus community? And I held a, a pregnant pause and I said, die. <laughs> and everyone was like, <laughs> And they're like, he's crazy. Uh, and actually what I was pointing to is that in order to, to reorient rather than erase our eros, I think erasing our eros is really dangerous. <laughs> you know, uh, realigning it, rechanneling it, we have to go through a moment of what I call erotic death. So we actually have to give up. I'll hold on that desire and say, God, Holy Spirit, here, take it. By grace, you're going to realign it for me into the form, my vocation sexually that you want me to have so you have to let go of control and die and actually heterosexual people need to do that more because they even more because they think they don't face the same challenge that queer christians do so 
I think queer Christians almost lead if they are obedient to the traditional ethic, which I think is right and biblically true, then they lead in that erotic death that leads to resurrection. And Ignatius of Antioch, one of the earliest church fathers, said, my eros must be crucified so it can be raised. Mm -hmm. And I think that is the cruciform resurrection-based kind of ethic for desire transformation. I think that's such a good point. I think that um, in the church especially, um, people who who are opposite sex attracted and choose a path of marriage sometimes have it not sometimes have it in some ways really easy because mm. they don't think they like mm-hmm. I sin in the Adam and Eve paradigm. Therefore mm-hmm. I don't have to check any of my mm-hmm. morality. Mm-hmm. And it, that is so mm-hmm. dangerous mm-hmm. where that Eros, even that Eros needs to be yeah. crucified and reborn and resurrected. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Or else you can't have robust friendships. Mm-hmm. You can't actually have a, um, uh, a marriage that that fulfills the vocation of marriage and that's where you get that freaky heterosexual guy culture in evangelical churches like my wife submits to me yeah. I'm like you have not died <laughs> die yeah yeah get yeah. down yeah. mister yeah who do you yeah. think you are like Eve was created second. She's the greater creation you get under for once yeah. you know what I mean like you are not allowed to project your your yeah. misaligned yeah. eros, mm-hmm. you know, and, and, and use this as a power plate. Marriage is meant to be this beautiful mutual submission, you know? And so, yeah, there's literally all literally starts that way. Submit to one another. And, then and women need to also die to their misaligned eros, yes. which can be really bad. And we see that with Jezebel and we see that in that whole kingly relationship with Jezebel and his, her husband, Ahab, you know? Yeah. So I think we need to yeah, really do some deep redemptive work there as well with dying to our eros. So, you know, we know that this kind of just scratched the surface, sometimes even stirred the pot to where all the stuff that was, you know, sediment that like landed at the bottom gets all stirred up again. Um, so we're going to continue, continue this conversation with um, queerness and the gospel uh, for our next conversation coming out on our next podcast next week. So stay tuned for that. <laughs>